It has been eight years uh, since we were last in Hong Kong as a family, and we were excited to celebrate both my in-laws' 80th birthdays during the holiday season. We flew out on Christmas Day as it was the cheapest flight option, and things were pretty uneventful until we were waiting for our luggage. Four of our luggage came out, but the last one did not. It was the luggage of my wife, Cindy's. When I checked the tracking device inside the bag, as Murphy's Law would have it, the battery had died. We didn't know if the luggage was still in Manila or if it made the flight to Hong Kong. The personnel at the baggage carousel wasn't very helpful, but simply told us to wait that more luggage would be coming. But it ended up just being more strollers, and he soon disappeared. We didn't know what to do. Cindy wasn't too bothered because she was ready to claim the insurance money and buy a whole new wardrobe. But we both knew it would be a hassle because of the contents of that bag. It was already an hour of waiting. The luggage for the next flight was already coming in, so we didn't know what else to do. We prayed as a family, and Cindy and I took the bag tag sticker to file a missing bag report at the central baggage inquiry desk. When it was our turn, we expected the customer service agent who attended to us to simply log in the tag number, ask where we were staying to deliver the bag if it was found, and file a report without getting out of his chair. Remember, this was Christmas evening, and I assumed he probably wasn't very happy to be working that night. To our surprise, he was extremely nice. He said, don't you worry I will make sure you have a very Merry Christmas. And to our surprise, he got out of his chair and disappeared. He was gone for maybe 30 minutes. But the next thing we knew, he was walking from the far end of the terminal with the missing luggage. Apparently, the airline we were on broke both luggage handles, and the luggage tag had slipped off. So they were unable to scan the luggage to put it on the right carousel. Now, I have no idea how this man found our missing luggage in the massive airport that is Hong Kong Airport, nor the effort he must have put in to look for that one bag with all the others in line looking for their luggage as well. But with a big smile and joy in his countenance, he said with a very heavy Cantonese English accent, I told you you would have a very Merry Christmas. Enjoy your stay in Hong Kong. And with that, we left the airport with all of our luggage said a Thanksgiving prayer, and enjoyed our trip. As I reflect back on this incident, I said to myself, I want to be like this man. For a man to be working on Christmas evening at the missing luggage desk at the airport of all places where you and I know he probably meets the most angry and frustrated people, to be so happy and purposeful makes him a very different person. I wondered in my mind if he was a Christian or was just genuinely a helpful person. But regardless, I believed he enjoyed life with a purpose, regardless of the fact that he was stationed at the lost luggage desk. He was happy in spite of the circumstances he found himself in. My friends, as we enter a new year, how can we live our lives like this man all year long and beyond? How can we enjoy life with a purpose? That is what we want to explore this morning in our message. You see, there are so many people who are waiting until life is perfect 
and there are no troubles in their life before they are ready to enjoy life and live life. But what they don't realize and understand is that that time will never come. There will never come to a time where your life and my life will be free from any problems. Because despite what we are experiencing, the Bible teaches that we are to live life, to enjoy life with a purpose. Let's see how this is done. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, as we take a look at verse 9 to chapter 12, verse 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9 to chapter 12, verse 8 is our scripture study this morning. Now, by way of background, remember, the book of Ecclesiastes is a God-inspired journal of sorts for King Solomon on how to live life, written towards the end of his life. The main thesis of this book is that a life lived apart from God is utterly meaningless, regardless of your educational attainment or your wealth or your achievements. A life without God is utterly meaningless. Therefore, Solomon will argue in this book that for one's life to mean something and have purpose, it must be lived for the Lord. Now, let's see how we are to enjoy life with a purpose. I read now the first part of verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Solomon begins by repeating an ongoing theme he has talked about throughout this book. Enjoy life while you can, as our loving God has so intended it. What we need to understand is that God desires for us to be happy and joyful in Him and to enjoy the blessings He has given us because of His love. You know, when He created Adam and Eve, He placed them in the utopic Garden of Eden for them to enjoy everything there. Unfortunately, some people have the notion that God doesn't care for us to have a joyful life experience. We think that He wants us to go through life sad and always very serious. But that would be farthest from the truth. If we read the Scriptures, we'll find out that the Lord wants us to enjoy life as He has so blessed us. So my friends, as you are able, travel, enjoy time with family and friends, play sports, Enjoy good food and other things that God allows. And make sure you think and give glory to God in everything that you do. Now remember, Solomon is not advocating for sinful self-indulgence as you enjoy life. He's only advocating for the enjoyment of life's legitimate, non-sinful pleasures and desires. God tells us to enjoy the good gifts of life, which the Bible tells us all comes from Him as James chapter 1, verse 17 tells us. And perhaps surprisingly, here the Bible says we are to enjoy life while we still have strength, especially when we are young. Now Solomon is not suggesting that young people have no problems or that older people can't have joy and fun in their lives. He's simply making a generalization that those who are younger have more time for the enjoyment of life because the problems of older age will start to soon reveal itself. And this is true in life. The younger you are, the more energy you have, the more you can eat, and you can eat anything. You can walk further and climb higher when you travel. You will have more stamina to enjoy life's non-sinful pleasures. The phrase, walk in your heart, is a reminder for young people to enjoy the special pleasures that belong to youth. The things that you can never experience again in quite the same way 
when we get older. Those of us who are older need to remember that God expects young people to act like young people, full of energy, creativity, and vitality. With youth comes a willingness to take risks and to try different things. Young people are often more flexible, adaptable, and embrace change. And while they need to continually mature, these attributes of young people are good things that we can appreciate about them, their passion, their energy. And the wonderful thing I love about our church is that while we are a multi-generational church, we are a church that is not afraid of using young people to serve the Lord, tapping into their unique creativities, energies, and passion with clear boundaries to have them honor God with their talents. And that's why you allowed a 28-year-old me way back when to lead this church. You see, all too often, the older generation expects the younger generation to quickly mature beyond their years and to be just like them. And in the process, they lose out on the joys of childhood and youth. And yet, on the other hand, there are way too many older people trying to act like younger people. My friends, for every season of life, there are realities we must accept, the Bible tells us. For example, when I was young, when traveling, I used to love sleeping in tents, on trains, in youth hostels, where 16 people were crammed into one room and they shared one bathroom. I didn't mind eating just a piece of bread and a piece of cheese as my meal because it was cheap and the only thing I could afford. I enjoy this traveling lifestyle so much, I backpacked throughout Europe three times. Now older and wiser, I now want my own room. I want my own bathroom. I don't want to share 16 to 1. I don't want to carry my luggage on my back. Your back is not made to carry luggage. I want someone else to carry my luggage for me, my children. <laughs> I want to eat well. I want to sleep well when I travel. That is the wisdom of being older. But there is a difference in the age that we must embrace, and yet we are to enjoy life, the Bible tells us, at any age. Now, there's a word of caution from Solomon about letting the excitement of youth get out of hand. Look at the second part of verse 9 to verse 10. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. These verses remind us that whatever we desire in our heart, that desire should be tempered with an awareness that God will judge us for our actions. Now, this is not necessarily taking, talking about a final judgment after we die, but the emphasis is of present judgment or judgment in this life, basically a reminder that there will be both present and eternal consequences for our present actions. My friends, the Bible is clear. If you live a life that is reckless and careless, disregarding the instructions that God has left in His Word, then you and I will experience its consequences. It may come in the form of psychological trauma, like a broken heart or broken relationships, as noted in the phrase, remove sorrow from your heart, or perhaps from physical hurts, like damaged livers and lungs from drinking and smoking, as indicated in the phrase, troubles evil from your flesh. That's why if you mess around with your life outside of the boundaries that God has set for you in the enjoyment of your life, you and I will suffer the consequences because of God's judgment. That's why we must guard our hearts. The big idea of verses 9 to 10 
is that the privileges that God has given us must be balanced by personal responsibilities. We can enjoy life, but it must be enjoyed responsibly. And that's our first principle for how to enjoy life with a purpose. Number one, live to enjoy life responsibly. Live to enjoy life responsibly. Don't forget that last word, responsibly. We are responsible for the life that we live. We are accountable every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year of life that we live because God judges our lives. So go out and enjoy the life that God has blessed you with, but make sure it is lived responsibly as God so intended and clearly defined in His Word. Now in chapter 12, Solomon will reinforce the idea of enjoying life while you still have the chance, but responsibly in view of God's judgment by telling us how. I read now verses 1 and 2 of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. Solomon encourages us to remember God every day in our life, starting now. Starting now. Remember doesn't only connote passive thinking, but the emphasis of the word remember here is to pay attention to, meaning consider the things that God has said with the intention of obeying, remembering but with action. In other words, God's spiritual purpose for your life must be taken into account as you live this life and you enjoy it. This is a call to revere God. This is a call to keep His laws faithfully, to serve Him responsibly, essentially to live your lives for Him. Why? Because the Bible says He is our Creator. And as the Creator, we are reminded that He made us. He breathed life into us. And therefore, naturally, we owe our very life to Him. As the Creator, the Lord God is the author of life who has the power to give life and to take it away. And if that is the power of God over us, where He determines if we will be able to take our next breath of air, would we not want to live for Him? The emphasis of these verses is do it now. Don't wait. Whatever your age, young and old, even if you're young, remember, serve Him. Live for Him. Have a spiritual purpose because you and I don't know when our time on earth is over. One stroke, one aneurysm, one heart attack, one fatal accident, one stray bullet, one fall can end life's journey. Then the question is, for what purpose have we lived our life? The reason we are admonished to remember in the days of our youth, meaning while we are still young, is because often in life when we are younger, we cultivate and develop the disciplines and habits that carry us through life. We learn as children to brush our teeth in the morning when we wake up and before we go to bed in the evening. We are taught to at least shower once a day. And we carry out these routines that we have learned as children that are so ingrained as part of our lifestyle into adulthood so that when we are adults, if we somehow forget to brush our teeth in the evening, we feel that something is off. 
Something is off in our routine. We must do it because that is so ingrained in how we live life. Spiritually, that's why it's important to cultivate a habit of setting aside time to come and attend church, to bring your children together as a family, to set aside time daily to have time with God when you are still young because then it becomes a part of your life. It is ingrained into your routine. And when you don't do it as an adult, something feels off. My friends, listen, especially if you're younger, students, if you don't think you have time for the Lord while you are still studying and somehow you can't fit Him into your schedule as a matter of force of habit, and you think that when I have time after my studies, I will be able to spend time with the Lord every day, it will not happen. If you cannot fit God into your life now, don't think that somehow you will when life gets a lot busier, when work life, family life, relaxation, and other priorities find a way to grab most of your time because at the end of the day, it is a matter of priorities. If you aren't doing it now, you're going to find it very difficult to do it later. These verses are a challenge to stop living the life you've been living and live for the Lord with a spiritual purpose now before it is too late. And what a great opportunity as we start the new year. Before we get older and the days become more difficult and troubled as part of the aging process. Verse 2 is a picture of diminishing joy and increasing gloom. The example of the light growing darker as we age. Now to really drive home this point, Solomon in verses 3 to 7 will give us one of the most imaginative description of the aging process in the entire Bible by using an analogy of a house that is falling apart. You see, oftentimes in Scriptures, a house is used as a metaphor for the human body. And the reason for this vivid picture of the aging process is because it shows us that we are all going through this process, that if we don't live for the Lord now, then it may be too late to live a life of impact. Perhaps as he writes this book, later on in his life, Solomon was experiencing all of these things he now describes. Look at verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look through the windows grow dim. The phrase, when the keepers of the house tremble, is a description of the fact that as we get older, our arms and hands grow weak and frail they begin to shake and tremble. There's a lesson here for the younger folks. Learn to help our older friends carry things. Offer to do it for them. Even if they don't ask, at least offer to hold and carry things for them. You will want the same thing when you get older. The phrase, the strong men bow down, describes the legs and the back of the elderly growing bent and feeble. They walk slower. Again, a reminder that those of us who are younger need to slow down and walk slowly beside those who are more elderly. They cannot keep up with your pace. But on the other hand, those who are older should find no shame in using a wheelchair or a cane. It is not a sign of weakness, but that is the reality of life as the Bible here so clearly illustrates. And plus, the benefit is that you get through lines faster with priority access. Verse 3 also talks about the grinder ceasing because they are few. Well, this is a picture of those who are older who often have fewer teeth. If they have less teeth, they're unable to chew things well. So hence, they often have a softer diet. 
I'm reminded of a story of a couple who had been married for 50 years. And as they were discussing some things, the wife turned to the husband and said, Honey, things have really changed. You used to sit very close to me. Well, the husband said, I can remedy that. And he moved closer to sit next to her on the couch. And the wife turned to the husband and said, You know, honey, you used to hold me very tight. How's this, he asked, as he gave her a very tight hug. And one more thing, do you remember? You used to nudge my neck and nibble on my earlobes, to which the man jumped on his feet and left the room. The wife said, Honey, where are you going? He said, I'll be right back. I've got to get my teeth. <laughs> then verse 3 talks about those who look through the windows and it grows dim, referring to eyesight beginning to fail. And as optometrists and an ophthalmologist will tell you, regardless of how good your eyes are, by the age of 40, you will need reading glasses. Verse 4, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low, the doors to the street are closed, pictures, perhaps the lips, seeking in due to the loss of teeth. The sound of grinding is low, again, means you can't chew your food well, so you eat slower. When one rises up at the sound of birds can reference the fact that older people tend to get up earlier because of the inability to sleep or that they require less sleep. And finally, in this verse, all the daughters of music are brought low, illustrates that for those who are older, their hearing becomes impaired. Verse 5, also they are afraid of height and the terrors in the way. When the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden, and desires fails. For man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. The phrase, afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, point to an elder person's lack of vigor, and the fear that often makes older people afraid to venture out because the new world just overwhelms them. I'm reminded of the story of Wendell Loveless of the Moody Bible Institute radio station ministry. He lived well into his 90s. He was alert to the end. During a visit from his old colleague, Warren Worsby, in one of those visits, he told Worsby and his wife, Worsby, I don't go out much now because my parents won't let me. To which Worsby replied, you are 90 years old. Your parents are still alive? He said, yes, Mother Nature and Father Time. They won't allow me to go out. Verse 5 talks about the almond trees that blossom, which refers to the hair turning gray and white because almond blossoms are white. Honestly, the Bible says we should embrace our white hair because it is a mark of distinction. And as you've heard me say many a times, don't complain about your graying hair to the one who has no hair. The Bible says in verse 5, the grasshopper drags himself along, speaks of the body being bent and one's walk being slowed because the imagery is of the normally quick grasshopper somehow slowed. As you age, you will tire more often. For years, I've wondered how older people can just simply fall asleep and nod off just by sitting down, especially after lunch. But now my family has caught me many times just nodding off to sleep. The phrase, desire no longer is stirred, speaks of diminished appetites of life and a decline in certain drives. The decline of physical powers culminates in death, and then man, the Bible tells us, goes to his eternal home, the grave. And people grieve for them, as indicated by mourners who go about in the streets. What a stark picture 
of the aging process. But this is the reality of life. Every new year we celebrate, we are reminded that we are one year older in life. This is the picture for where every one of us is headed, which is a good reminder that you should not marry for physical looks, because if you do, then let me tell you, you will be in for a very big surprise, as both you and your spouse will age, so you better marry for the right reasons. This vivid picture is a great reminder for what awaits us and to challenge us not to wait before it is too late. If you are young and you don't think you will go through the aging process, think again. I often have to tell my teenage kids, I used to be a teenager once. I used to be in my 20s. I used to be in my 30s. Enjoy life now because this, and I point to myself, this is your future. How's that for motivation and positive encouragement? This is your future. You know, 2023 was not a good year for me physically. I partially tore my left calf muscle playing badminton. I fractured three back ribs biking. I suffered a TFCC right wrist tear, a grade two right ankle tear playing in my only basketball game in the church league. And at the age of 46, having never worn glasses all my life, I now have to use reading glasses to read small texts. I visited my orthopedic surgeon many times last year. And in frustration, I once asked him, Doc, I do all the proper warm-ups and stretching before I participate in these sports. Why am I getting injured? Am I doing anything wrong? He told me, no, Pastor. You're doing what you need to do, but you're just getting old, and your body isn't what it used to be. These realities of the aging process is a wake-up call for us to remember now, the Bible says, the Creator before the difficult days come. This is why to enjoy life with a purpose, we need to, number two, live for a spiritual purpose. Live for a spiritual purpose. Since we are all one year older and our bodies are breaking down, then it should push all of us, even those who feel they're younger, to begin to think about why I live this life and the purpose of my existence on this earth. At the end of life, what is the type of legacy I want to leave behind? How do I want to be remembered? Because one day, you and I won't be able to work anymore. One day, you and I won't be able to play our favorite sports anymore. One day, that which brings you significance and purpose, perhaps your work, you can't do anymore. Then, what is your life all about? My friends, if you remember to think about God and how He wants you to live life with a spiritual purpose, then you and I will not be afraid of the aging process because we have then lived for something of value. Does that make sense? If you understand that you have a spiritual purpose in this life, that which you find your significance in, the temporal things, will no longer bring you joy, but you won't also be afraid of the aging process because you know you've invested your life in something important. So, my friends, how do you plan to live for Jesus this year? How do you plan to enjoy life with a purpose by living for a spiritual purpose? With all the resolutions you plan, how many of them are spiritually related? All the resolutions, take an inventory, how many of them are spiritually related? You see, unless you live life intentionally, this year will be the same as last year. You are the same person at one minute past midnight on January 1 
as the last hour of December 31. Only the year number has changed. Making resolutions don't change you, but only intentionally living out those resolutions, hopefully ones that are spiritually minded, will change you to be a better person. I came across a meme that wrote, this year, I want to be more like Jesus. And it enumerated a few things of how they wanted to be more like Jesus. Number one, I want to hang out with sinners. Number two, I want to tell stories that make people think. Number three, I will choose unpopular friends. Number four, I will be kind, loving, and merciful. And number five, I will take naps on boats. Of course, the last one is humorous, if you know the life of Jesus. But more important, in what way, my friends, this year, do you want to be more like Jesus? Live for a spiritual purpose before it is too late, as you remember the Creator God in your life every day. Look at me at verses 6 and 7. Remember your Creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Here in these two verses, going beyond simply the aging process, Solomon describes the end of life using three pictures. The first picture is of a golden bowl that holds a flame and is held by a silver cord. The cord breaks and the bowl crashes to the floor and the light naturally goes out. This is a picture of the end of life. Picture two is of water being unavailable because the pitcher that holds the water is shattered and the wheel by which it is drawn from the well, is also broken. This is a picture of finality. You can't just go get another pitcher of water. And even if you can get one, the wheel's wheel is broken. You can't get any more water. That's it. A picture of finality. And then picture number three is the reversal of creation. The dust of the body returns to the ground from which it came and the breath of life to God who gave it. In view of these three pictures of the end of life, there is that repeated challenge. Remember your Creator as you live your life, but this time with eternity in mind. Because, my friends, as our bodies return to dust and our spirit and soul comes before God, that shows and speaks about life after death. Those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior will be resurrected to live eternally in glory with our Lord. And those who rejected Jesus will be resurrected to suffer eternal separation from God. What choices have you made? The choices that you make in this life will reverberate throughout eternity. While it's important to enjoy life with a spiritual purpose, it's also just as important to enjoy life by living life with eternity in mind. And this is our third principle, number three. Live with eternity in mind. Live with eternity in mind. Living life with eternity in mind helps us press on and persevere amidst life's many challenges. It helps us accept hardships and injustices. It allows us to show love even to those who dislike us so that we're not bothered by what others say about us or things they accuse us of. Living with eternity in mind allows us to smile through the storms, to laugh through our tears, and to find joy and hope in the midst of our sorrows. As I shared with my family, the church staff, and some friends, 
Last year was one of the most challenging in my life. Just a lot of unforeseen things happening. Lots of misunderstandings about my decisions and actions and many disappointments with people who I thought I could trust. However, by living with eternity in mind, I was able to press on and persevere because I knew that the Lord saw all, that while unknown to me, the things that happened in my life served God's greater purpose. I may not fully understand why He allowed those things to happen, but I trust that God had a greater purpose and that it's not about me, but about God's glory. With that perspective, with that eternal mindset, I was able to accept what happened and move on. I was okay with people who didn't like me or thought bad things about me. I was able to rest in God's sovereign will knowing that He is in control. And I was able to finally relax and rest and even smile through the storms because of that eternal mindset. My friends, because at the end of the day, we do not live for the approval of others. We live for the approval of one. And we need to live every day with eternity in mind to remind us of this great fact or else we will get sucked into the pettiness of the temporal world in which we live. How many petty arguments were you able to get into last year? When you look back, you realize what simple things became big drama. But in the bigger picture, those small things you can just let go because you don't live for the approval of others. You live for the approval of one. While in Hong Kong, our family was treated to a meal at a high-end, all-you-can-eat yakinuku place on the top floor of High Sun Place. The quality of meat was excellent, from Angus beef short ribs to U.S. Wagyu beef to high-quality Australian grain-fed beef cuts. I know my meat. Anyway, we were given 100 minutes to eat, and at that time, in true Phil Chai get-your-money's-worth style, there was almost no time in which that circle grill was not entirely covered in beef. While the meat was still cooking, we were ordering our next round. In fact, my children noticed the other tables where the people there ate very differently than we did. They would delicately take one piece of meat at a time and then grill it and then eat it with their rice while we were eating in bulk. I noticed that the manager and the servers were looking at our table with a slightly disapproving look. Should we eat for their approval? Of course not. It was all, eat all you can, and we were paying customers, so we ordered as much as we wanted. At the end of the hundred minutes, we tallied up all that we had ordered, and between the five of us, we had ordered 101 plates or items. We were really hungry. In fact, because we don't get this here in the Philippines, but in fact, when we place our last order into the phone app, we missed the cutoff by one minute. So I called the manager over and asked if he could accommodate this last order, this last plate of beef. And I think he allowed it just to see if we could finish all the food, which we did. We left that place very full, feeling very satisfied that we ate very good beef and feeling very happy and joyful because it was sulit, meaning we got our money's worth. I think this translates into what we are talking about. Because we knew we only had 100 minutes. We knew the price of each person. We knew the menu available for us to choose from. And so we strategically chose to select only the high-quality and expensive beef cuts 
as much as we could and stayed away from the ordinary and cheaper chicken and pork cuts. So we walked away full and satisfied without any regrets. My friends, likewise in life, if you know you have a limited time on earth and that the options of life are set before you and that judgment and eternity awaits you, then what activities will you choose to do this year, the next year, the year after that? How will you live your life knowing what is your options in life and the limited time that you have? And how you live your life based on the options that you choose with the limited time will cause you to either walk away this life feeling very unsatisfied or feeling joyful without any regrets. My friends, joy and happiness amidst a challenging life is only possible when we keep eternity in mind, knowing that this present life is temporary and the life after this is eternal. So with the menu before you of life's many options every day, will you make the right choice now, even when you're young, so that your life will be full of joy and it will bring about everlasting joy forever? Will you walk away from this life feeling satisfied or with regrets? Finally, verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. For the last time in this book, the writer says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The book closes where it began, emphasizing the emptiness of life without God. When we look at life under the sun, everything does seem empty and hollow. But when you know Jesus and live for Him, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 tells us that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So my friends, this year, enjoy life with a purpose. And to do so, remember, live to enjoy life responsibly. Live for a spiritual purpose. Live with eternity in mind. And by doing so, May we all have a wonderful and purposeful new year. God bless you.